Welcome everybody. We're here for another inspiring and absolutely amazing episode of Confessions of a Keyboardist. Well, let's hope so. <laughs> <laughs> I'm here today with Kieran Gupta. Hello. Yes, you did say it right. Yeah. Ah, yeah so thank you for having, oh, thanks for having me. Yeah. yeah, thanks so much for being here. Absolutely. Um, I don't, I'm trying to think when I met you. It's been a while. Yeah, I think it was on one of the, maybe the Loud Jams. I okay. think we shared the bill there and um, yeah. I think on that one, I think that was the one where one of the keyboards fell off the stand, and <laughs> so so it got a little crazy right up front. So we're all kind of scrambling to help each other out. So I think we all kind of came together at that moment. So. Oh wow! Yeah, you know that I had not gotten there yet when that happened, but that was epic. Yeah, yeah. Um, poor Brett, and, and yeah, and poor everybody else that you know didn't want that to happen, mm -hmm. and so yeah, and I think yeah, we we were I think we were both on that on that bill. Okay. We played a couple songs on that. All right, it's bonding through trauma. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I talked to you then, and then, you know, um, I think I saw you at a pro blues jam. Yeah. At the local. Yeah, at the local, yeah. That's yeah. one of the spots that I tend to frequent. And okay. um, a lot of the gigs I've gotten around town um, has actually stemmed off of that jam and, and a lot of other, you know, jam-type situations, too. I mean, I think that's one of the most important aspects of the city, actually, so... Um, I've been lucky enough to study music in Los Angeles and New York City, and then I moved here uh, without, you know, going to school or having a job or anything, just kind of start something fresh here. Uh, my writing partner from New York City, she moved here first. Um, her name's Ashley Chapman. She's a drummer and singer in town. What do you and, know? And, um, yeah, and so I visited her a couple times, and I felt, we both felt that this is somewhere where we, we could start something. So. How cool is that? Yeah, and then, you know, I moved here. I only knew that... I only knew Ashley, just one person. So, oh, wow. So we had to kind of figure out, you know, how do we meet people? You go to the jam sessions. So, gotcha. So there was one um, jam session that would happen at Bourbon Street. That was the only one I knew of in Printer's Alley at Bourbon Street, that blues bar. Okay. So I showed up there, kind of signed up, and um, they had a Hammond organ in there, and yeah. I had never played one before, before moving to Nashville. About, this was about three years ago now. Okay. So that was incredibly intimidating. Um, so I get up there, and of course, there's two manuals on it. There's these draw bars. I had no idea what those did. There's right. a, the reverse cues, which are the presets. I didn't know what those did either. So I'm just hitting stuff. Mm -hmm. The guitar players are calling tunes and keys that I'm not comfortable playing in. Keys like E and A and D. Like I'm a jazz musician. We like the flats, you know, like F and you know B flat and like the minor keys and oh, stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. So my hands were doing stuff that were very uncomfortable, and like so it was a kind of a traumatic experience like my first time kind of playing in public in in Nashville so wow but um and Trial actually, by fire. exactly exactly but I mean that's kind of how you have to do it. you have to kind of something to kind of build off of so mm -hmm. um I mean, it didn't completely go to waste you know like we still you know started and ended at the same time and people still seem to enjoy it but you know I definitely figured out I had, I had a lot of work to do oh, like wow. even I mean I've been playing keyboards since I was five years old you know so even like at this stage of my life, I'm like, oh, I have a lot to learn, you know, so it was kind of a, like, reality hit me pretty good at that moment, yeah. and actually, the house keyboard for that jam at the time was someone you interviewed earlier for your podcast, Larry Van Loan, we were just talking about Larry, so, okay. yeah. and so, yeah, Larry was the keys player there, so, and he would just be ripping on that thing, so, yeah. what I would do, <laughs> like, I'd keep coming back to this jam, and, um, there's a balcony in the, in the bar, too, so I'd go straight to the balcony and look over, and watch gotcha. how Larry would, you know, pull the draw bars, and, the, and then I slowly started to figure out how the instrument worked. Yeah. And, and then I found yeah. out that 
most people in Nashville kind of prefer that Hammond organ sound. So I actually bought one myself, um, a Hammond. It's called an SK2 model. So it has the two manuals, has some draw bars on it. Right. has a Leslie simulator on it, and it pretty much recreates, you know, a Hammond V3, but it also fits in your car at the same time, so, <laughs> but, uh, so, uh, Weighs yeah. about, what, 10% of the actual weight of a... I, I would say that, yeah, so instead of the size of a refrigerator, it fits in the trunk <laughs> of my car, so, yeah. Absolutely. So, so yeah, and that's kind of how it all started. Okay. Yeah, so, yeah, the jam sessions are incredibly important, and, um, yeah, that's how I met, met all the musicians that, um... I consider really good friends, and um, mm-hmm. you know, so yeah, that's a. If anybody's thinking about moving out here, I mean, that's pretty much the spot to start. Like this town, it's not really about what I've learned. Like it's not about your resume so much. Like I've seen people come here and try to you know spit their resume out and try to oh I played with so and so and so and so. This town's more about okay, show me what you can do. If it's something that you know we can use, you'll be hired. Mm-hmm. If it's not, go home and practice. Kind of, <laughs> it's, it's very real, and I, I that's what I love about it. Mm-hmm. You know, so. Right, very immediate. Immediate, um, and you'll get the opportunities to really show what you can do. And I, I think that's kind of the important part. You know, so. I got you. Yeah. So let's talk more music. Okay, yeah. I mean, no, basically, is that the... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's talk, yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> no, I'm not saying that oh, right okay, now. Oh, <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. So, uh, but Obviously, we got a lot of time. We do, today. yeah, we do. Uh, so, no, yeah, absolutely. you got to really show what you can do, what you're made of. And, gotcha. Um, and people are always kind of... And especially, I think... When I started off as a keyboard player in this town, it was it was a little tough because you kind of have to almost create your own demand in a lot of ways. Because like every band needs a bass player, every band needs a drummer, guitar players. You know, every band wants a guitar player to play out. But the keyboards is not really an essential part. Okay. If you take a keyboard out of a band, you could still have a band. You know, mm-hmm. so you kind of have to figure out a way to make yourself useful at the same time. So when I was trying to figure out like you know how to how to do that I had to kind of figure out like a way to show people hey I can actually you know take your music and you know add something to it mm-hmm. take so, it up to, to the next notch exactly so interesting yeah um so okay so let's go back and just like um hit on your early days okay <laughs> and I, mean, I can remember <laughs> <laughs> maybe I mean we'll try a little bit of chronology just okay. to set up the point that gets you to Nashville sure um, where, where were you born? Where'd you grow up? Um, I was born in Oakland, California. Uh, my parents actually immigrated from India um, in the in the mid-80s, or early 80s. Which and, part of India? Uh, in Calcutta. It's their hometown. So okay. the west, or eastern part, excuse me. Like okay. right, but it's called, the area's called West Bengal, right by Bangladesh. And so the native language there is actually Bengali. So that was actually the first language that I spoke. Really? English is technically my second language. That's so. cool. Do you, can you still speak? I can't really speak it so well. The syntax is really backwards compared to English, but I can understand everything. Wow. So when okay. I go, like when I go to India and you know, I talk to my family members, a lot of times our conversations, I'd be speaking English. They'd understand English, and they'd be speaking in Bengali, and I'd understand that. So we're communicating in two different languages. Wow, We still all understand each other. Yeah. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. So Oakland, California. Yeah. Uh, so which my, part of the city, um, I'm sorry, the yeah. state is Oakland? Uh, Northern California. Northern, so, Northern, okay. Yeah, so San Francisco, Oakland, my parents were actually living in Berkeley at the time. They kind of formed a little triangle in the Bay Area. Okay. And then uh, my parents moved to a town called Fairfield, California when I was one year old, when I was one year old, because okay. it's the only place they could afford a house. <laughs> at the time. Oh, so. gosh, yeah. So expensive. And they've pretty much been there ever since. Yeah, so that's where my formidable years were. <laughs> okay. Right there, so. And uh, until you were a senior in high school? 
Pretty much, yeah. Okay. Um, did you study piano? I did. As a child? Yes. Uh, my parents pretty much stuck me in it when I was five years old. Okay. And you say uh, stuck me in? Yeah, well... <laughs> Were I you mean, not into it at first? I mean, the thing is, like, <laughs> I don't consciously remember it. Like, uh, my mom actually used to play piano, and my dad actually bought a piano for her when I was really little. And the story goes that whenever my mom would practice, I'd just run out of nowhere and just start banging on the keys. I'd interrupt her practice sessions every time. So oh, wow. So they figured... You know, maybe he has an interest like like that, and it'll keep me out of trouble too. So, <laughs> so and your, was, your mom was an accomplished pianist. Um, she played a little bit um, okay. as a kid, and um, she, it was more of a hobby. You okay. Know? And my dad was self-taught on guitar too. So, that, oh. so there was music in the house. Um, sure. Both my parents can sing pretty well. I can't really. I, I didn't really inherit that. But um, yeah, a lot of music in the house. So. Okay. Are you the only sibling? No, I have a sister, and um, she was also musically inclined as well. Um, okay. Growing up, yeah, she's a younger sister. Um, she played flute and saxophone growing up. So in right. school, so. So you were taking piano, put you in piano lessons. Put me in piano lessons when I was five years old. Okay, what kind and, of teacher? Um, so I started off in like a kind of a group lesson situation. So okay. it was mostly kind of like like just pop music, just to kind of get get you playing. Um, a lot of like elementary um, like method books and things like that, right. and, like recitals every year. Oh yeah. Do you remember the method books? Yeah, I, think I it was always the, ask. Yeah, I think it was the John Thompson series. Okay, all right. Like the teaching little fingers out of play. Yeah, that's I think that's what I started it's with. It's red. Yeah, the red books. Yes. Yeah, yes. I started off in that, and of course you learn that Christmas songs around Christmas time kind of deal, mm -hmm. and, and sure. pop tunes and stuff like that. Whatever that would. I mean, you know, young kids, I mean, you teach a lot of young kids, you know, the attention span, you know, like, it's really kind of tough to kind of keep that attention span a lot of time, Oh, yeah. So. You always have to be switching around to yeah. other things. Absolutely. So, and then, so I, yeah, I started off when I was five, and then um, about five or six years later, um, I, my parents wanted me to study classical piano, and um, we found a classical teacher, and... Um, she was, she was pretty tough. Yeah, I was not used to that. Um, so, you know, very regimented. The pieces were much, much more difficult. Yeah. Doing Beethoven, Mozart, you know, those kinds of pieces. But mm -hmm. in addition to that, and like, I didn't really enjoy it at the time, but I'm very grateful for it now. Yeah. She had me studying music theory. Mm -hmm. And she had these mm -hmm. theory method books that I'd be going through. Mm -hmm. At the time, I, would, I didn't really understand. I was like, oh, why, did, why am I doing this, you know? Later on in college, like I had it way easier than a lot of my classmates, and it's because I had this instilled in me when I was much younger. Mm -hmm. And yeah. she'd also do something. Her name was Carolyn Covey. She's no, she passed away a few years back, but um, I'm, she was very tough, and I'm, you know, but I'm grateful for it now, even if I didn't enjoy it at the time. But um, she also um, had us learn like write biographies on composers and. Wow. Like just really, it's a really in depth, you know, understanding of classical music. So okay, wow, write biographies. Yeah, right, yeah, we had to write reports, okay. and then we had to memorize these reports. And like during her recitals, what we would do is we wouldn't just play music; we'd be reciting these um, pieces that she would write up uh, on these composers. So we were doing a full presentation for our parents. Wow! And she'd choose a composer for every recital. Oh, I love it. Yeah, and each one of us is kind of, we were oh. like, each one of our students, we were um, responsible for a certain segment of the composer's life. So. Wow, that is cool. Yeah, yeah, so. Um, what pieces do you remember, like, hating, and which ones did you love? I said, um, actually, <laughs> like, she, she did a pretty good job of, um, you know, picking, like, the ones that I found really tough were actually Bach. You know, there oh, were so yeah. many like, consistent, like, lines going on. Mm -hmm. I wish I focused a little bit more on that, now, like, thinking about it now, but, yeah. um. 
it was, those were really tough because you miss one note, you kind of have to start all the way back because it was so, like, those lines are so interconnected. Oh, yeah. Uh, one composer that really kind of, it, it really showed me what music was about um, was actually Beethoven. Like, mm-hmm. That was the first time when I was playing, I was like, oh, there's some real emotion behind it. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. like this guy went through something. You know, like, that's kind of, I, I got that feeling from that. So that oh, was yeah. one of the, the first composers that really struck me. I was like, oh, this is more than just notes on a page and moving my hands around. Like, this is, there's yeah. something like, I could really connect with. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. And then she got me into Chopin, too. And yeah. that's some of the most brilliant music ever written. Yeah, you know, so, was, yes. you know, so those stick out for me. Yeah. More than others. And um, she actually, um, she, she went kind of, she wasn't just like a, a regular piano teacher. She would definitely go above and beyond for her students. Like, she signed me up for master classes. And there was a concert pianist that would actually, um, I mean, he was a nationally, internationally touring artist. And he would stop in the town next to my hometown. And he would offer, you know, master classes for some of the students. And she signed me up. Wow. And this um, pianist, um, he actually passed away recently, too. His name was Vladimir Kohansky. And Vladimir, he was a Juilliard graduate. And, um, I mean, he played for royalty in Europe. He played for the Pope before, you know. He studied with Madame Levine in Juilliard. You know, so he was part of that school. So Incredible. So, yeah, were you to get um, access to him? And... Exactly. And, um, I mean... Yeah, so other students of Madame Levine's were Van Cliburn and John Williams, you know. So yeah, so one of the greatest piano teachers of all time. Yeah. So I I was kind of connected to this world, which was really cool. And it's wonderful. And he was a brilliant teacher. Like he really knew how to. It didn't matter what age you were. I mean, there were people in their fifties, and then there were children who were like you know five six years old, and he could speak to all of them, and and completely transform them as a musician. So wow. And his hands were massive. So like, um, so I could reach about a tenth with my hands. He could reach 14 notes. Goodness. Yeah, 15 is two octaves. So. I, I've always heard that Rachmaninoff could hit a 12. Yeah. And yeah. so to hear 14, you know, I didn't even think that. It, I always thought that's got to be as large as it goes. No, he had massive, and when he was doing octaves, it looked like, you know, when I'm hitting a fifth, you know, it looked, that's what his hands looked like when he was doing octaves, you know, so. Good grief, yeah, so, wow. And then she actually signed me up to do uh, further master classes with him in San Diego. He'd do like kind of a week-long extensive with a oh, small wow. group, and it was just really pretty amazing. He had amazing stories to tell us, and yeah, and he really knew how to speak to us, which was, and, and he'd also do concerts, too, so. And he'd do a really cool thing at his concerts, I would remember, like, um, at one point, um, he'd have all the children in the audience get up on stage and sit next to the piano while he played. You know, so the oh adults would be in the audience, and the, pian- the the kids would be right there. Wow. That yeah. kind of brings to mind, for me, <laughs> uh, like, um, Jesus, sorry, yeah. but yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Where he's like, I mean, in, in growing up in like a little church, yeah. on the fans that they yeah. used to have in the little church, there's always a picture of Jesus yeah. under a tree and all these little kids around him. Yeah. <laughs> so this is a, an actual professional concert. Yes. And he's having all the cho- inviting all the children to come up and yes. sit at the, around the piano? Yeah, around the piano, wherever they To watch play. him. To watch, yeah. Wow. Yeah, to be right there. Too. He sounds like a very sweet spirit. He was. He was. Um, so I'm. I'm very grateful like, to have had that opportunity. I'm like, yeah, I'm from I'm, I'm from Fairfield, California. Nobody knows where that is, but still, like, I was able to get these really incredible opportunities, and mm-hmm. I, and you know, I try to carry those with me and try to, 
yeah. share as much as I can that, you know, and that's kind of, that's kind of the amazing thing. And I'm actually experiencing that here in Nashville too, especially being an organ player. And I've only been playing organ for about three years now, but that's been kind of my primary role in this town as a Hammond organ player. But um, kind of going back to that, um, the Blues Jam, the the one at Bourbon Street where I met Larry there. Yeah. Um, so I was going there for a couple of weeks. That was the only jam I really knew about. And another keyboard player showed up and people started to kind of tell me, oh, this is the guy. It's the Hammond guy. His name is Mo Denton. I don't know if you've met Mo. I do know. You do I know. Him? I know of him. Okay. Um, gosh, I'd love to chat with him yeah, too. He's, I mean, he's full of stories too. And, sure. Uh, so yeah, he'd be he'd be great for this, but um, I, I he would show up and he'd start playing, he'd start ripping on the organ, and people would tell me, oh that's that's Mo Denton. he's got the the Hammond endorsement deal, and he's been playing Hammond organs for you know as long as he's been playing, you know that's I think that's kind of what he started on, just kind of keeps going. Right. So I was very intimidated. <laughs> so like I I kind of stayed away, and like and then after a couple of weeks, he he'd see me play, and he came up to me and. You know, said, hey, you know, good job and stuff like that. And we kind of became friends after that. And he started kind of inviting me out to things. And then we'd become, you know, closer. And like, I'd just be watching him. And he'd show me different things, tell me stories. And then one day, he was like, you know what? You should come over to my house. And he had 11, he has 11 Hammond organs. And he said, like, well, I'll, I'll just give you an in-depth, you know, lesson on how all these things work. So I went up to his house. And um, it was brilliant. Like, he recorded the whole thing, and he took the instruments apart, showed me all the inner components, and he, he showed me, like, okay, so if you're, if you're the bass player, you want this setting. If there's a bass player on the gig and you're playing organ, okay, you want this setting here. And it was the most in-depth lesson I could possibly get. Like, yes. And I, I, like, I'm still, like, kind of amazed that I got something like that. But, I mean, yes. and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm getting this from a lot of the older players in town. And, you know, they tell me, like, you know, when they were, you know, my age and younger, like, the older players then would do the same thing. So, you mm -hmm. know, it, it's almost like you feel like it's a responsibility to kind of keep it going. I mean, if you love it enough, you're going to do whatever it takes to kind of keep it going. Absolutely. So hopefully I could have that opportunity one day, too, to kind of help others, you know, kind of keep it going as well. Yeah. So, That's so, amazing. Yeah. Wow. That's, I'm just imagining, you know, 11 Hammond organs. I mean. Yeah. So yeah. I, I would imagine there's M1s or A100s or just all kinds of stuff. You just Yeah, just whatever you can get his hands on. Okay. Um, and he's showing you draw bar settings. Draw bar basically. settings and um, just kind of how the instrument works. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, just a, yeah, just in-depth lesson, history lesson, playing lesson. That's fantastic. You know, so it was it was really eye-opening, and and not just that, but like how to apply a real Hammond organ to the the clone organ that I was playing. So like, yes. yeah, I mean, like mine, it's it's all digital, you know. But like, right. there are ways to kind of tweak things so you can make it feel and you know sound like the original. So that's what we're always kind of kind of going for. So yes. I would. Uh, do they use waterfall keys? On the uh, yeah, on the yeah, on so, the S okay. too. Yeah, that's pretty important. Yeah, yeah, de definitely. The touch on that is um, is pretty close to to all the Hammond organs that I've played. So amazing! That's really great. Yeah, yeah I'm kind of stunned actually. Yeah, <laughs> it's that stopped me in my tracks yeah. just thinking about that. That's so cool that you did that. Absolutely, mentors yeah. are so important in this business. Uh, yeah, I couldn't agree more. And um, yeah, there's some there's some great players here that I'm very and and that's just another thing about the community here in Nashville. It's just so open. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I was I wasn't really ready for that, you know, because I was used to like you know I lived in New York City before I moved here to Nashville, and New York you had to kind of you had to really show you know what you can you know you didn't have opportunities to show what you could do, but you still had to anyway, you know, just to kind of get in those circles. And I kind of was starting to make my way in those circles, but then you know that city just got too expensive and just too yeah. saturated, and I just couldn't play music on my terms. And when I moved here, you know. I could actually play music on my terms, you know, meet so many people, incredible people, get, you know, we influence each other, like, oh, wow, that guy did that, let me, let me learn how to do that, you know, you just kind of show each other things, and it's really pretty, it, it, I mean, yeah, it's it just, we, we just all kind of develop together, you know, yes. it's, it's, it's really, and it's a very exciting time to be in this city, too, because, you know, when I, when I, if you ask me about five or six years ago, if, like, Nashville was, you know, if I was considering that, I would have said no you know I, I was like naturally that's where they do country music right but then like I move here and it's everything mm-hmm. you know so I mean great blues scene rock scene the jazz scene's developing here very nicely I and mean, of course there's country music and singer songwriters too but yes you know it's there's a lot of different things happening here yes definitely mm-hmm. um well okay so let's go back in time and okay. then, but I, I want to remember what you're saying sure because sure, I want yeah. to talk to you about this development yeah. um so you graduate from high school. I, I graduated from high school. Um, in high school, I, well, in um, elementary school, I also picked up the trumpet as well. So I started right. kind of playing trumpet as, as well as piano. So okay. And um, are you in marching band? I was in like marching that? band and jazz band okay. and concert band. So yeah, in um, the did band. You trumpet and jazz I, I, band. I did. I okay. played trumpet and jazz band. And um, so yeah, in the band program, there are no keyboard instruments. You yeah. Know? So yeah. I had to learn a wind instrument, but. Um, Kind of what got me into that, and actually kind of shot me forward for like I remember in second grade, um, I was in a music appreciation class, and our my teacher his name That's cool. was um, his name was Ron Thorpe. So what we what we would do is one day we'd have music appreciation, the other day we'd have physical education. So we swap, you know. Okay. So just to kind of you know, you know like so you're not just in the classroom all the time. So, yeah. But the for music appreciation, our music teacher's name was Ron Thorpe, and. Um, he was brilliant, actually, and like now that I look back at it, you know, you don't think about things like that when you're in elementary school, but um, right. But he taught us, you know, songs on the song flute, and like, and he really kind of like taught us about you know composers, about you know, and you know Mozart and all the way to George Gershwin, and you know, like I mean, I knew names of you know composers that you know most you know ten to twelve year olds would have no idea who they are because of him, right? And then. Um, there was one day though in second grade he played a recording, and I immediately like thought, okay, what was that, and how can I do that? And it was Louis Armstrong's West End Blues, uh-huh. and I was like, I've never heard anything like that before. I need to know. Like, I, I was just so glued to it, and I was just repeating that name over and over again in my head, like Louis Armstrong, Louis Armstrong, just so I could remember it. Yeah. And then about I think it was like a few weeks after that, my family and I were like shopping somewhere. And I see this um, CD set. It was a four CD set. And one of the CDs was this guy named Louis Armstrong. So I told my parents, that's the guy. I I need to get this. Like, I was like, no, we we can't leave the store without it. And so they're like, okay, okay. You know, you can can get it. (laughs) And the other CDs, though, there was a four pack. So the first one was Louis Armstrong. And it was actually... Um, Columbia Records does this series called This Is Jazz series. So they do a compilation of all the artists that have been on their lineup. 
So one was Louis Armstrong. This other one, I didn't know the other guys. So this one was this guy named Count Basie, you know, so I had no idea who he was. Okay. And another one was Duke Ellington. <laughs> right. And playing standards, whichever, whatever standards meant. And the fourth CD was actually one of the most important. It was a sampler of all the other series. So it had like a Dave Rubik tune, a Miles Davis tune, like whoever else was on gotcha. in that series. So I still have those CDs too. They're still in my room in California. So, so cool. But, but yeah, that was like that's what got me into jazz music, and I was like, I gotta do that. That's what got me playing trumpet, and then uh, eventually my classical piano. Like I was getting a little bit bored with it. Like you know, I was playing these grand pieces and all that, but it just wasn't speaking to me the way that I heard like like that jazz was. So I kind of switched my um, attention to jazz music. I started taking lessons from a jazz teacher. And started learning about you know improvisation and jazz harmony and um, right you know and just um, you know trying to emulate you know those those great players as well. When you make the switch yeah. from that, you know, classical music is for some people very based on visual the mm -hmm. visual aspect of just yeah. reading the score. Yeah, were you a fast memorizer? Yes, I was a fast memorizer. I was not a very good reader. Okay, <laughs> yeah, so, that, so then the switch to jazz would be a little bit easier. It was a little bit easier because um, the way that I. Like I played music. I'll I'll tell you a story that happened. This is when I knew like music meant something much deeper. It may not make sense to a lot of people listening to this story. I'll just put that <laughs> that that out there. But um, I was playing. Um, I was maybe eleven or twelve years old. I was playing Beethoven's Pathetique Sonata okay. in C minor. Right, you know, that's so a doozy, folks. It is. Yeah, <laughs> and um, yeah, the beginning part. Here, I'm yeah. just gonna go for it. So I mean, the beginning is just like a big chord. Starts off that, so it's very heavy like that, Absolutely. and uh, and I I just like really gravitated towards it. But um, yeah. um, after that part, there's a section called the development section where everything kind of starts speeding up, and um, the chords start changing a little bit, and that's kind of part of the whole um, sonata form. So that's a whole another like, you know form that a lot of composers would use, right? So exactly. And during okay, so I'm playing the development section with a lot of fast notes, and then. This is what happened for me. This is the experience that I got. Instead of playing music, it seemed like the whole piece kind of opened up like a storybook. And I was experiencing it more as a story than I was as listening to notes and playing music. Gotcha. And it freaked me out. I was like, whoa, what was that? You know, like, I just kind of got immersed in it so deep that it yes. just didn't feel like I was playing anything anymore. Yeah. I was just like experiencing it. Okay. Channeling yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's moving through you. Absolutely, yeah. You're just a vessel for it. Exactly, and I was, you know, eleven or twelve. I had no idea what this was about. But then, you know, I would play it again and keep happening. And then you just kind of learn to embrace that. And that's kind of what I was like. Now, that's kind of the moment where I knew I'm going to be playing music for the rest of my life. Wow. Yeah. You know, so that's cool. Yeah. That's so a, that's incredible. So yeah, I'm just you know I'm grateful that I, you know I was able to kind of you know internalize it that way mm -hmm. and that's why like whenever I played music after that I didn't really read it so much I was trying I'd always try to go to that one place where I could internalize it so much that I didn't have to think about it like think about the notes like the technical aspects of it I could actually focus on more of the deeper emotional parts you know making yeah. a you know trying to find the expression in it so that's yeah. why you know reading notes I can't really do it that way you right know? so that's why I was never a player like that right and um, that's why I probably, you know, 
failed a lot of auditions and stuff like that because I can't really read so well. You know, people think, you know, like they would see me play and then they put a piece of music in front of me and it just wouldn't translate very well and they'd be kind of confused. But, you know, it's like, it's, it, like my brain just didn't work that way for some reason. Gotcha, so. gotcha. Oh, no, it makes sense. Yeah. Um, there are, um, it, it does seem to trigger different parts of the brain. Yeah, exactly. Very much when you're doing those different activities. And, and the thing is, like, I mean, that was just kind of my approach and back then, you know, it's like when I'm looking back at it, um, you know, I think like, oh, I'm just not a good reader. But it's like, no, I'm just not that kind of musician. It's not like a fault necessarily. Like, I channel my energy in a different way, you know. Right. So it's, it's much easier to think like, oh, I'm bad at this. So it's like, that's not really a bad thing necessarily. Like, as long as you're creating music in some way and just being able to channel it. Right. You know, so different people have different methods of doing it. Yes, so, absolutely. Yeah, so, I mean, you know, guys like, I mean, like, what, what about, like, you know, blind pianists, like, you know, Art Tatum, you know, people like that. I mean, they couldn't read music. They had to learn it all by ear, you know. Yes. So I was kind of, you know, channeling that a little bit, too. Like, I, you know, developing my ear yes. more than anything. So. I did have the privilege of working with one blind pianist. Oh, really? She was uh, in, she was a high school student. Really? Okay. Yeah, an incredible musician. I'm, yeah. And, you know, we tried to talk a little bit about how, what her process was. Yeah. And, you know, it was very organic. Music was very yeah. organic for her. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, that's mm. that's amazing. That's the only way I can. The only word I can think to, you know, to describe. Sure. What it was sure. like for her. But, so, but um, so yeah. So I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah. So let's try to go back to the crown. I know I'm just jumping around all over the place. But, it's all um, good. But so yeah, so I played you know piano. I, I switched to jazz kind of around middle school and high school. Okay. And I started taking lessons um, in jazz music. Okay. And solo to, stuff? Um, mostly, yeah. Oh, mostly, right. mostly solo piano. Um, learning how to like comp with one hand while okay. solo with the right hand, you know, kind of deal. So 2-5-1s? Uh, a lot of 2-5-1s, a lot of learning tunes that way. Okay. I remember the nice. first tune that I really kind of dove into was uh, Miles Davis's Solar. So, okay. And it's a, it's a blues, essentially, but it has all these kind of weird twists and turns and some odd 2-5-1s that kind of... You know, and that really kind of developed my ear too. So, yes. and uh, my piano teacher at the time, I'm I'm still in contact with him. He's actually one of the most brilliant musicians I've ever met. His name is Delbert Bump. Okay, just a wild guy. And um, uh, he's actually it's it's actually kind of funny. Um, he's in a Hammond organ player. So he actually does bass lines with his feet, with his yeah. foot pedals, yeah. comps with his left hand, and plays solos with his right hand oh. while doing the expression pedal with his right foot. So yeah, he one of those. He's one of those guys. Like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's from a different planet. I think. So, <laughs> right. And his, I mean, his bands. He, like, he would run organ trios, and we'd watch him play as a kid. We'd actually help him load in and out sometimes because he'd have he'd um, go with an actual B three. Okay. And he'd have two Leslie speakers. Okay. And he used the trailer to get all of it out. So we'd kind of help him wheel stuff back and forth sometimes. Wow. And his trio was just like watching fireworks for us, you know. So just <laughs> that, that Hammond sound. He had great musicians who knew how to kind of cater their playing to that sound, too. And this is in Fairfield. It's in Fairfield. Um, Fairfield and like kind of the neighboring town, Vacaville, California, too. So, okay. So yeah, this is all in my hometown. Um, that's, so, that's very fortunate. Exactly. Yeah. And... Uh, so I was studying with, with Delbert, and he, I mean, and he was just like out from left field. Like I didn't know what hit me. Like, and he would do things too to kind of set me off too. So like, I remember one time he'd say like, "Okay," he'd count off. All right, now play like you're eating ice cream. Go. 
And I was like, what's that? What's that mean? And, you know, but it, it just kind of threw me off. And then, like, just the kind of, like, he would just do those kinds of things. Because okay. jazz, like, jazz music was really more about reacting to what's going on, like, kind of creating moments in, this, ah, you know, in the moment. And he kind of wanted to keep me on the edge, you yeah. know, to kind of do that. So, uh -huh. and, um, That's good. Yeah, yeah. So he, he would do, like, kind of wild things like that. And, um, he actually led a, a he actually led a big band too. It was a community college big band, and I was a part of that in the trumpet section. So I was a trumpet player there, and he was actually our drummer for that. <laughs> That's strange. Oh, wow. Yeah. So he, he can yeah he can do anything. So I can see yeah. how that would play into it though. I mean it's it's all that's all about doing different things with different body parts. Exactly. And he'd call yeah. the charts and all that. But um, what he would do with this big band though he'd he'd get like professional musicians and kids, and he'd mix us up. That's so amazing. I was like pretty much getting free lessons from these old, like, I, I remember mm. the solo trumpet player, he was in his 70s, oh. and he'd been playing in Dixieland bands, he'd, be play, he'd play for the governor's inauguration, oh, that's amazing. And, um, and the lead trumpet player was one of the most brilliant trumpet players I've met, and um, so they'd kind of give me different, you know, th you know yeah. things to work on, and just to kind of be in that presence was really something. Yeah. And, um, and you know, this band, we, like, we got hired out to play gigs, I was like, 14, 15 years old, so I was getting that like that gigging experience there too. Another great thing. Exactly, and so um, I mean, and he demanded a level of professionalism for us. I mean, we're 14, 15 years old. I mean, if it wasn't sounding the way you want, he he would rip into us, mm -hmm. like he would like as if we were professionals, you know. Like, <laughs> right. And a lot of times, like even when I like later on in college and when I went to grad school. A lot of people emotionally couldn't handle that kind of criticism. I mean, mm -hmm. I was already there when at 14, 15 years old. I was like, this is this is nothing compared <laughs> to what you know we grew up around. And really, yeah. And he developed some brilliant musicians through that. Wow. Yeah. So. But, wow. Uh, yeah. So I was I was very lucky to have that. So I kind of had that going through high school. Okay. And. Um, I was actually at that point in high school where I didn't really know what I wanted to study in college. Like I was always kind of the science kid, math kid, and but then music was always kind of that passion too. So I decided like I might want to study music in college, and yeah. that kind of threw my parents in a you know a little uh, like they've always been incredibly supportive of my music, and mm -hmm. they were at every single recital, every concert. Like yeah. they didn't they didn't miss a single one. My dad was the guy with the video camera, you know. So and you know. In the early 90s, you know, like it was a video camera that you rested on your shoulder <laughs> with an actual cassette tape in there. That, oh, yeah. That video cassette, you know, VHS that you recorded straight on. You had one of those. Sure. There. So we have a lot of those of, you know, when I was playing. Yeah. So, you know, they were very supportive, but they were also very concerned at the same time that I decided to kind of pursue a career in this. Gotcha. And so, understandable. Exactly. You know, so, <laughs> um, but so... Like, my mom was actually a little bit more concerned than my dad was, but then she ended up finding this program at UCLA, and it's called Ethnomusicology. Yeah. So the study of ethnomusicology, I didn't really, I had never heard this term before, but it's the study of music and culture. Yeah. So it kind of what music means to people. And okay. at the time, I wanted to kind of be a film score composer. That was kind of what I had in mind. I loved writing music. I actually had some opportunities to write music for our high school band. I was very grateful for those opportunities. And, you know, like, and I just be writing, like, you know, jazz tunes and this and that. And so I, I kind of really caught that bug, too. So, so the theory was paying off. The theory was from paying off. The, the classical piano Oh, absolutely. The theory is paying off, and it would actually pay off even later in college as well. Okay. And the theory is paying off, the ear training was paying off, um, getting grilled by a teacher during a rehearsal was paying off. So, yeah, yeah. so all, I'm, I was very lucky, lucky to have these experiences, however uncomfortable yes. it may have 
different at the, the age I was at. Yeah. It really did, did develop me, mm-hmm. you know, into a, you know, the musician I'm, t- like, you know, I, it doesn't phase me at all. Like, it's now like, okay, <laughs> I know, know what to work on. I know what's expected of me. Let's go, you know. Right. So. Right. But, um, so this program, Ethnomusicology, I go to, I go to UCLA, I audition for it, doing classical piano for it, and, you know, okay. and I, wrote, I played one of my tunes that I wrote, too, and right. I get into the program, which I, and it was much more than what I expected. I thought, you know, Ethnomusicology, oh, you're probably studying music from all over the world, which is part of it, but it, you really get to, like, what this practice of Ethnomusicology is more about, you immerse yourself in a community and study the music from the inside out which I thought was really cool. So, like, you really find out what the stories are, what it really means to the people, and, and okay. um, gotcha. you know, so, and, like, and it's not, like, you get to study, you don't just study the musicians, but also the people listening to it, mm-hmm. what it means to the community as a, as a whole as well. And and through that program, I mean, my, my ears and eyes were open to so many different things that were, that played influences on my music. And um, I studied Indian classical music through their program, too. I played tabla, so the Indian hand percussion. Wow. And the tabla teacher there was one of the, one of the best in the world. I, he was Ravi Shankar's tabla player when Ravi Shankar was touring with George Harrison of the Beatles. <laughs> so, yeah, so I was studying with him. And, um, Jeez. <laughs> yeah, so, and that was actually one of the first times I experienced actually, like, feeling pain while playing music. Because when you do an Indian classical concert, you're sitting there for an hour and playing musically constantly for an hour. So mm. a lot of our practice sessions for that was just sitting in a circle and just doing endurance exercises. Oh so we do five minutes straight, then 10 minutes, then 15, then oh, 20, wow. and kind of build up to an hour's worth of playing. Like a marathon. Exactly, yeah, we would train like that. Wow. And afterwards, he would treat us to coffee at the coffee house kind of deal. So, so. Where was the pain? In your arms? And or? The arms sitting down for that long on the yeah, floor, yeah. you know, so oh, wow. I mean, um, I, I have a hard time sitting cross-legged too, so like mostly in my legs. Gotcha. And then the forearm would get kind of stiff, and you kind of okay. feel it work up your forearm into your shoulders oh and your back. Oh my gosh. And you're, you're, you're constantly, and then I started developing these weird calluses on like the edge of my thumb because my hand would keep hitting the, the, the drum head in such a strange way. Okay. So you, you'd get odd things like that. And right. Like, Wow. Yeah, and, and a lot of really great experiences at UCLA for, through that program. Um, I, I played in the in some of the jazz bands on trumpet, and um, okay. I started my own um, Indian and jazz fusion band too. Uh, I was just going to ask you if there's an element of um, like leaving um, reality. Do you go into a meditative state? Sometimes, yeah. It, it, um, is that part of the deal? Um, it is, yeah. So, okay. um, and you, you start. I don't know, you just don't experience it as music anymore, you know, so like the way you listen to, especially in Indian classical music, like, um, like you learn these compositions, you learn all these sounds and, you know, how it all works together, but then you also have to play it at such, like, high speeds, too, so a lot, so if you listen to, like, you know, traditional tabla music, a lot of these compositions are incredibly fast, because you have to create this shape, you know, that, and like, in Indian classical music, it's actually, it's cyclical. You know, so it's more about time cycles, okay. while Western music is more about linear. You know, so you're reading music from one spot and you, it ends at the end of the piece. Gotcha. In Indian classical music, you have to end on beat one, no matter what the time cycle is. So. Okay. So you we really learn how to like you know create these shapes and um, wow. like the traditions behind that are really pretty intricate, and these are all oral traditions too. So you actually don't. 
you know, none of, none of it's actually really notated or written down. So wow. these are compositions that he learned from his teacher, who learned from their teacher, and gotcha. then, you know, and on and on. Gotcha. Um, so it's, it's really resembles jazz. Exactly. Folk music, too, I suppose. Absolutely. But so you said you started a what? A a ja- an Indian <laughs> classical music and jazz fusion band because improvisation is actually a huge part of both cultures too. Interesting. So, um, okay. There are parameters to both, but um, okay. so I actually started. It was a nine-piece ensemble. I played piano and uh, a little bit of trumpet with it, but I had um, bass, drums. I had sitar, a santur, saxophone, flute, and a vocalist too. And I just write these tunes and these parts, and you just all kind of, you know. Oh, I had tabla with it too. So sometimes I have okay. the tabla player and the drummer kind of battle back and forth. And, yeah. And, you know, and we just kind of come together. Like I'd have the, kind of these bare bone tunes, and we just kind of create parts out of it. And it was very, you know, we got, got to explore space with that. So. Gotcha. You mean musical space? Musical space, yes. Like where, when to play and when not to? Exactly, yeah. Okay. And, um,. Sometimes we just play riffs off of each other, like, oh, that's a, that was a cool idea. Let's kind of go go gotcha. that way. So, okay. um, but so and that was that was really pretty pretty amazing. We did that for a couple of years. And, you know, so. Sounds that way. Do you have yeah. recordings of that still? I do somewhere. I have to I have to find them. So <laughs> I, I know I have some just video curious. recordings that I need to kind of strip the audio from because we had some really pretty amazing moments. Yeah. Uh, with that band, and we had, we just had a lot of fun. It was all my friends too. So you know, we just kind of get together and play like that. So. Okay. But um. So you're playing, you're learning, you're still taking jazz in um, college. In college, I'm playing in the jazz ensembles. I'm not in the jazz program necessarily. So so the ethnomusicology program at UCLA was divided up into two parts. So there's the jazz studies section and the world music section. So I was in the world music section. Okay. But I had a lot of friends in the jazz studies, and we all actually, we all took classes together too. I just didn't focus sure. on the performance side. So gotcha. the world music side was more of a research field than anything else, but gotcha. um, there was a playing aspect to it too so that's why I was doing the Indian classical music through that I was playing tabla through that okay and but I still got opportunities to play with like the big band the Latin jazz band and some jazz combos and stuff oh, wow. like that and on trumpet so okay so I still got to keep both of it going and um and it's opening up if it sounds to me like what you're saying is it's kind of opening up your perspective on you know wh- how things come to be and in music, absolutely, yeah, for sure. And who and listens to it? Who writes it? What that, are your relationships between everybody? That and just mixing people up with different musical backgrounds, you know, like I mean, especially in that Indian music and jazz fusion group, like the jazz musicians, I mean, we were all taught through like Western classical, you know, mm-hmm. um, teaching, but the Indian classical musicians, it was all oral tradition by teachers, and it was a which is kind of a much more intimate way of learning, but then. Just the way that both musics work, it, like it just kind of comes together. So we were all kind of trading ideas with each other, and I was learning a lot through that. That was kind of the more more important thing, like just how all that worked, and you could kind of cater your uh, compositions and stuff through that. And um, gotcha. at the time at UCLA, like halfway through my time there, I decided to double major in music composition too. So okay. I was studying, you know, kind of classical composition, but taking these elements I was learning from from jazz, from Indian music, from other like. I mean, Latin American music, all these other things that we were being exposed to and kind of throwing it into my compositions as well. So I was able to mix, you know, all that up, which is pretty amazing. That is really cool. Really cool sounding. Yeah, so I was able to, 
um, you know, really kind of make the best of it. And also, like, the jazz department at UCLA um, was run by a guitarist um, named Kenny Burrell, who was, like, a legendary jazz guitarist. Absolutely. So, yeah, and, um, and the faculty was pretty much the guys who played in this band, you know. So we were around, like, some of the top L.A. musicians, you know, and they would, you know, tell stories. I mean, Gerald Wilson was one of our teachers. Um, and we had this joke that, you know, I think Duke Ellington owed him $200 still, you know, for an <laughs> arrangement he did for him, like, back in, like, you know, the 40s or 50s, you know. So, right. so, wow, yeah. that's such a thread in your life that you end up around these incredible artists. Exactly. Who yeah. are also good people. They were good people. They were Giving great. People. Yeah, great <laughs> teachers, you know, um, very generous with their knowledge and their time and then we'd see them on TV every once in a while too, you know. So <laughs> it's just like, you know, like what? Yeah, it, it was it was pretty wild to kind of be around all that. And yeah, just LA at that time, you know, just going to school out there. It was the perfect way to experience that city because I was mm. you know, still protected by that bubble of school. Sure. And then we could still venture off and kind of do some other things, go see some concerts, play some jam sessions and things like that. So. Yes. So, yeah, I'm very, you know, yeah, just grateful for all that. And made a lot of great friends, too. And, um, yeah, a lot of my, like, former roommates are, you know, successful musicians in, like, New York and the Bay Area. And, you know, so it's, it's really amazing to see where we've all gone. Yeah. Like, when, you know, we're all sharing this apartment on, you know, you know on Hillgard Avenue, you know, in, in West Holm, you know, in, um, like, right, you know, kind of right by Bel Air and, you know, all that. So. <coughs> wow. So, yeah, we were actually, it was, it's kind of cool to see. Where, where we've all all been going so but, uh, that's that's amazing yeah, really yeah so then what happens next well uh, next um let's see um so for composition this is kind of a kind of a darker side of the story right here um <laughs> i decided for my recital i had to do a recital of all my compositions instead of just doing a normal recital i actually decided to write a musical theater piece um, so one of my heroes is actually um, Mel Brooks, the comedian. You know, so I love his movies and stuff, and he does a lot of musical numbers that are just hilarious. And I was like, yes. you know, I was like, I like I like writing stories and you know jokes and stuff. <coughs> but I also like writing music and stuff. I was like, this is, I, I kind of want to do this now. Like this is, you could do everything in one of these pieces. So <laughs> oh I my just, goodness! So I decided to write a musical, and I was uh, very naive. Um, I decided to write everything. As in the book, the music, the lyrics, you know, the script. I did all the orchestrations. I did, I, and I didn't realize that these were all separate jobs, <laughs> like in the professional <laughs> world. So I thought one person did everything. So I worked tirelessly on this thing. And wow. it, yeah, so and I wrote about like 16, 17 songs, and I oh arranged it for a large ensemble. And, wow. And then I had to get, and we were going to do like a live presentation of it. and. It was just way too much for one person to handle all this, and I just didn't know that it wasn't how you do things. So the presentation was not great, and uh, so it it, it kind of started a, kind of started a little rift between one of my former professors and me. So it just like everything just kind of fell apart a little bit there. Um, yeah, I put all this work into it, and like the show just did not turn out the way that anybody had really hoped for, kind of deal. So, oh, man. and then at that time, I just kind of got burnt out of L.A. and like you know just. I mean, I spent like, I, like you know, sleepless nights just writing music, writing music, and all that. So I, I got kind of burnt out. And then at this time, like when I was going to college too, which I, none of us were really ready for, the whole music industry was changing too. So when I was at, yeah, you know, when I was at UCLA, like when I started, that's when the first iPod came out. Okay. And then iTunes came out. Yeah. And then like you know all the like music became all digital, and like nobody really knew what was happening anymore. 
So like the way that the, the regular trajectory to being a you know, professional musician just kind of flipped on its head a little bit. And we were all like, okay, what do we do now? And a lot of us, we couldn't find work after you know, graduating right. or knew what we wanted to do. You know, record labels were kind of dropping out. Um, a lot of these um, CD stores like Tower Records went out of business, you know, like all these yeah. places that we used to like kind of hang out and, you know, look at CDs and stuff. These were all disappearing. You know, everything was going online, you know, and so we had no idea what was happening. And like at this time, I was burnt out too. So um, I, my mom called me once and said that my former high school band director, who gave me a lot of opportunities to kind of get myself through UCLA. He's like, you know, he's looking at retiring and he wants an assistant band director for his last year and your name came up, like my name came up. Yeah. And he's just like, you know, if you want to take this job, I was like, I have nothing else going on. So, you know what, let me just, you know, take a break. At this time, I also applied to a bunch of grad schools and I got rejected from all of them. Like okay. every single one, I, got re- <laughs> right? I, I've rejected letters from um, home, including UCLA too. So, <laughs> so yeah, so I, I guess that just the stuff I was writing. Like sometimes when you get so into it, you just kind of lose yourself a little bit too. And like, yeah, I've lo- I've looked back at those compositions that I've submitted, and it's like, you know what? I'm not proud of this. You know, so I I'm not surprised at all that these people, you know, these folks didn't take me in. So it was just not in a, the right place to continue. And. I was just, we're just all under the impression of like, okay, after undergrad, you do graduate school, you know, and then like I didn't get in. So I was like, okay, now what? So I decided right. to go back and teach. So I'm, I'm the assistant band director at the high school that I went to. It's good that you had that option. Exactly. I was very lucky mm-hmm. for that. And Sometimes if you're not certified, you know, they won't let you do See, the thing is, um, they actually treated me a little differently. They treated me as like a coach. Like I was a, okay. I was a sports coach for music. Yeah, okay. so I had to get the background <laughs> check and all that, but um, I didn't have to be a certified teacher necessarily because he was always in the room, so there was always a teacher there. Okay, uh, but I would teach some of the classes. So okay, and he actually like, and that was one of the best experiences I've ever had, and that's actually what gave me the energy to continue uh, with my music, honestly. Wow. So, so I taught for a year at the high school, and um, so we had there were three levels of band. So there's, of course, there's the top band, all the seniors, you know, the wind ensemble. Then there's a middle band, and then there was the lowest band of all the freshmen. Okay. I kind of primarily taught the second two bands, like the, the lowest two. Okay. And that was actually a really great experience, too, because, like, I was kind of learning stuff, too. I just had to make sure they didn't know I was learning stuff at the same time kind of deal. So, right. You had to always be a step ahead. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So, <clears throat> and so, so you had to learn how to play all those instruments. Not necessarily. These, um, okay. Yeah, these um, but, players, they were proficient enough. But, okay. I, but I had to know how to tell them how to be better at their instruments. Gotcha. So, you know, and you yeah. got to figure out ways of how to, you know, really, how, how they could kind of dive into the music so it was, it was much more than that. And then, um, and I, I actually, like, you know, you experience that, like, I mean, you're, you're an educator, so I'm sure you experience this all the time, but you, you definitely see miracles happen. You know, like that, and that, that's oh, yeah. that's the thing. And um, I mean, like one story in particular, like I kind of took it upon myself, you know, when I was teaching, um, before some class, maybe once a week or something, I'd play the class a piece of music that they would necessarily not listen to on their own. Whether it was like you know, jazz music, classical music, opera, tango, you know, so you know whatever, Indian music, you know. So I decided to play a um, an excerpt. It was the finale from Mahler's Eighth Symphony. So it's one of the most grandiose pieces of orchestra music ever written, pretty much, right? So it's a huge orchestra, a huge choir, uh, vocal soloists up front, and balcony brass playing down into the auditorium, you know, so yes. huge, and, and pipe organ, too. So, like, all the sounds <laughs> right. possible are in this. So I'm playing it, 
And I noticed that one of my flute students, she starts crying while it's going on. I'm a little concerned, because usually when a student <laughs> starts crying in your classroom, that's not a good thing. Yeah. So I, I let the piece finish, and then I, you know, I kind of go up to her and say, hey, are you okay? And she assured me, like, no, no, I'm fine, I'm fine. So then I asked her, like, hey, do you mind if I ask, like, why did you react that way? And she just looks at everybody and says, I don't know. And I was like, that's the best answer. That is the <laughs> best answer. You know, and that kind of, it, it just kind of reminded me, like, why we do what we do. You know, yeah. like, it's not about, like, you know, when you go to college and study it, you get so trapped into, all right, this is where the music's going. Like, this is the chord progression. This is, you know, this is a perfect authentic cadence and this and that, you know. <laughs> right. You know, but, like, that essentially doesn't even matter anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, what you're, the goal is to get somebody to cry for no reason, almost, you know, to feel it and mm -hmm. not really know why. They just kind of, it just hits them at such an emotional place like that. Yeah. And that's what, that moment really woke me up, you know. So, I was like, okay, now I think I've, this is this is what it's all about right here. You yeah. Know? And then I continue to see those kinds of things. I've seen, you know, students who are having trouble in school completely turn it around through music. Mm -hmm. You know, and that was, and then, you know, a lot of students who, like other teachers or even their own parents kind of like bailed on. But then the music program is what they were clinging on to, and that's what kind of got them to the next level in their life, you know. So yes, you know, and you see a lot of that, and you know, my hometown has a lot of economically struggling families too. But they were, but that music program was really what gave them a, some of those kids a sense of family, mm -hmm. you know. And yes. um, and then after that year in the high school, I taught at the middle school that I went to too, and I saw it even worse there, you know. So and like I was, you know, we're teaching the kids of legitimate gang members. You know, a lot of kids would actually have to miss a concert because they were going to a funeral of their cousin. You know, oh so, my gosh. you know things like that. Like it, it got real. Like a lot of some of the parents were banned from school grounds because they accidentally brought guns on campus. You know, wow. so, so I mean, these are like we're trying to teach these kids how to sing songs and play instruments. You know, so <laughs> right. but, um, but we ended up you know kind of giving them escape as well. So um, so those two years are two of the most important years of my life, right wow. there. You know, teaching and like that's what really kind of got me. So I, I applied to grad school again. I got rejected from most of them again, but um, I got into this one program at NYU. It was called the um, Graduate Musical Theater Writing Program. So um, I submitted you know, a musical. It was a very intense audition process, and um, um, I had to even go to New York for part of the audition process, and then I got waitlisted for the program. And, and it was about, I think uh, it was about July of that year. Um, I get this phone call saying, hey, one of the students decided to drop out. You're next on the list. Do you want to change your complete life course in one month? I had one month to move to New York City. Gotcha. And I, and I decided to take it, and I had to you know, drop out of the teaching gigs that I had. And um, so I moved to New York. And, wow, wow. And uh, studied um, musical theater writing for two years there. Okay. Yeah. So much of what you've said just in the last 10 minutes is very, very rich. Oh, thank I you. think extremely rich. Well, I mean, you said you said some stuff about like um, the bubble, like, well, overwork for yeah. one thing, how that can strip you of the real basic meaning of Absolutely. music. Absolutely, yeah. It's, and I'm trying to do too much. Like, you know, partnerships with people are so important. Mm -hmm. And uh, if you'd had somebody to write that with, probably would have made a difference. Yes. But, and then you said something about the bubble of, be, you know, UCLA. The, well, it, all universities are sort yeah. of, um, they can be a bubble. Um, they do protect you in some ways from the actual, <clears throat> what's really going on out there. Yeah. So then you you see firsthand what's really going on by your by teaching. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, if, and 
you know, you're not, you don't really get a lot back in a, a sense of just like a lot of recognition, I don't think, sometimes from teaching, but the, uh, the massive gift of seeing a student develop or get that light bulb turned on by, they don't know why there's, it's something affecting them, but, but it's such a reward. I, I, I couldn't agree more, you know. And, and so in the moment. Yeah, and so fulfilling, you know, to see that. But um, at, at that time, too, it was also very exhausting for me at the time. I was, sure. You know, like, I mean, it I was is. straight out of college, you know, like, I, <laughs> and I didn't really, I didn't study music education. I was just kind of like, okay, I'm a musician, you know, like, I've messed up a lot, you know, on my road. Like, so, hey, you're making the same mistake I made when I was your age. This is oh, how yeah. you fix it, you know, yeah, kind of yeah, deal, yeah. you know, so. Yeah. And a lot of it was that. And sometimes it was like, oh, hope that damage is reversible, you know, kind of deal. You're just trying stuff out, you know, just sure. kind of throwing it against the wall and seeing what sticks, you know, Absolutely. kind of deal. And, um, but it really does uh, heal you, too. Yeah, I, it, yeah. I found, you know, when I was in the music ed, ed program, I it healed me of a lot of things that I thought I should have done better. Mm. It's like, oh, no, no, I was... I was human at that level, you know. Yeah. That's that's normal for that level of development, but yeah. but then you get this uh, offer to do musical theater, which yeah. you felt like you didn't do well. Yeah, and, and that's yeah. pretty amazing to so, uh, to have another shot at that. Yeah, and yeah. and in New York City. In New York, yeah, and, wow. And it's the only program of its kind out there too. And, wow. And my class was the largest class they'd had at the time. We had thirty eight people. Oh wow. And we were divided up into composers and what's called words people who did the book and the lyrics. So, okay. And the whole first year, what the, um, kind of how it's designed, every composer has to work with every words person on the other side. That's great. And the, and the second, at the wow. end of the first year, you choose one of those people, and the second year, you write a 90-minute musical together. Oh, how so, great yeah. is this? So for, uh, I mean, it was probably one of the most intense things I've ever had to go through. So in two years, you had to know everything about writing a Broadway musical. Okay. And so the first year... You have what's assignments, what's, and you present these assignments and call the lab class. So you write it, and you present it, and then you have one week to uh, revise it after getting critiqued. Wow. So, um, wow, wow, wow. So you have one week to write it, and um, so the, 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 you know, the projects, they start with just an AABA song. Okay, that's okay. the first. And then the projects <coughs> start getting bigger and bigger, but the time frame remains the same. So at the end of it, you're writing like a 10-minute musical in one week. You know, from writing an AABA song, by the end of it, you're writing a 10-minute musical in one week. And you're also balancing five or six different projects with five or six different people. Wow. Yeah, so I was pulling all-nighters on weekends just to get all my stuff together. Wow. And another thing about this program, we had to write out all the notes. We couldn't do lead sheets or chord sheets or anything like that. So we had to write out full piano scores oh and melodies. And did you use a program? I did. Um, I used Sibelius. Okay. Um, so I started using Sibelius when Sibelius 2 came out when I was in high school. So okay. And I used to write, uh, like, notate a lot of things through that. And, so uh, once again, you had some backup um, experience yeah, for, yeah, for that as for well. That, yeah. Because so, there's a learning curve for that too. Absolutely. And um, so, yeah, I'm very, you know, fortunate that I was able to kind of navigate through those, um, you know, and, you know, there's always that battle between Finale and Sibelius. People will always argue one or the other. I mean, I guess Finale's older, so a lot of the, you know, older composers are kind of used to that, but mm -hmm. uh, I mean, they're both, they're both great if you know how to kind of use them. Sure. And um, so, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd score it all through Sibelius, and um, we had to print out, like, we had to send copies, like PDF copies to our program, and they'd print out everything for us, so we'd have scores to look at while um, our classmates were presenting works. And on top of that, we had to find our own performers. 
So a lot of times we are performing for each other's works <laughs> oh while goodness. we're writing. And then, but the thing is, we were all in the trenches together. We were all suffering together like that. So, and that just kind of became our way of life within the first few months. Yeah. And um, so, and I think that's kind of still instilled in a lot of us. Like, you know, when I'm, you know, living here in Nashville, you know, I could work, you know, my day job and then I could do a, a night gig 10 p.m. to 2 a.m., get home at 3 in the morning, wake up at 6.30 again and go to work again. You know, so I think it's that New York training that's just still kind of instilled in me. Yeah, I don't really sleep much yeah. you know, because of that. But, um, but that's just kind of how, you know, everything's kind of, you know, worked for me since. So. Gotcha. So yeah, so that yeah, it was a two-year program. Okay. And um, that's where I met my writing partner, Ashley Chapman. She was um, the words person, and oh, okay. and, and we um, we did an assignment together, kind of in the first semester, and um, it was a duet assignment. So we had to write two singers singing at the same time. So um, so we came together. We kind of came up with a little story, and I, you know, I was expecting okay, I'll probably see you know a book and lyrics in a, um, you know about a week or so. I saw it in a couple hours. She went home, write, wrote something up, and sent it to me, and it was good. So I had to step up my game, too. I was like, oh, okay, if she's writing this good, this fast, I got to really step it up. So yeah. we did this kind of Latin jazz thing, you know, and it, kinda, it worked out pretty well. So, and that's, nice. what I, that's where I kind of realized, oh, she's, she kind of challenged me to, you know, you know kind of up my game. So I think there's something there. So oh, yeah. we decided to work together the next year, and we wrote a, a rock musical about an 80s rock band. It was on the last leg of their farewell tour. Ah, and, I love it. Yeah, and there's a young uh, singer that they kind of bring on board um, just to kind of help out. And he later realizes, the singer, that he's actually there to replace the lead singer who's his hero. You know, so they're all ah. kind of dealing with these emotions on one bus ride from, I think it's from Detroit to New York. You know? so, <laughs> and they do, you know, there's some flashback scenes oh, and wow. stuff like that. So uh, we've been talking about trying to revisit that because, you know, we've also, like both Ash and I have experienced things here in Nashville. It's like, oh, that would actually go really well in that show that we wrote, you know, so we might think about doing that again, too. So. That is awesome. Yeah, so... And uh, she moved here to Nashville first, like after we graduated. It was it was really tough to get any work going on in New York City. Um, I had a, a pretty much a dead end desk job, you know, and just trying to get little things here and there. Mm -hmm. And uh, so she had actually come to Nashville before grad school and did a writing uh, seminar here, and she really enjoyed it. So she moved here first, and then I visited a couple times, and you know, we kind of figured out this is a this is a good place for us to kind of end up. And um, yeah, we've been. This city's been treating us very well so far. So both of us are in a ska band now. So uh, we just, um, she sings and plays drums and uh, I, I play keyboards and trumpet in it. And it's called Pussycat Doghouse. So uh -oh. we've been playing some shows around town. And, I think I saw an ad for that. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that's our, that's our ska band. Wow. So And we kind of do like ska fusion too. So like we throw in all of our elements. So this band, um, I, I love these guys. I have, you know, Bill Boyce on bass, um, Julie Warden on guitar, Patrick Mosser on saxophone, I'm on keys, and Ashley's on drums. And uh, we all have much different musical backgrounds too, cause, and those kind of seep into it as well. So we started off as a ska band, but we kind of have other elements going on at the same time, which is a lot of fun. Wow. And uh, we just recorded our first album too, so we're in the process of mixing and mastering that. We did 11 songs in one day. So, oh my goodness, yeah, so, wow. 
And wow. yeah, I'm rock steady. Going to be performing some shows coming coming up very soon as well. Okay. So. What kind of keys did you play on that? Uh, organ, organ oh, mostly. Okay. Um, there's one song where I do piano, and um, the SK2 that I have has like a kind of a piano sound on it. That's what I've been using mm-hmm. uh, for live shows, so I don't have to bring another 88 key. And sure. most of the stages we played are very small as yes. it is, and even for that organ rig that I have, it's pretty small. So yeah, kind of have to get by with what you have sometimes, but uh, mostly organ. And um, I have I keep my trumpet on the side too for a couple of songs that's as well. Great. So, so yeah. yeah, so that's a that's a lot of fun. I'm sure. Yeah, and, I can't um, wait to hear some of that. Yeah, yeah, I, I can't wait. Like, yeah, the studio stuff that we did was you know really good, and um, so um, yeah, like Ashley writes great songs for it. Um, Lee and Bill and Patrick they all write some really great stuff. I've yet to actually contribute writing wise. I'm working on some stuff for them. So, but. Uh, uh, so, really cool. so I got that going on, and then um, speaking of you know the jam sessions and all that, I met a uh, one of my really dear friends here. His name is Val Lepescu on guitar, and um, he was the house guitar player for another blues jam, the Tuesday one where where we met up the other other night. Okay. Um, of the Tuesday Pro Blues Jam, yeah. and Kara uh, Lippman, she uh, of Kara Being Blue, she hosts that one, right. and Val's her guitar player. Okay. And that's how we kind of met. Uh, we came, became friends. Um, I sat in with her band once for one week, and we just connected musically. Like we were just on the same page, and and we decided, you know, let's let's kind of develop this into something more. So that's when I started doing a jazz organ trio. So. Yeah, I heard your trio yeah. at a benefit for. Um, was it an animal shelter? That's right. That's right. Yeah. So it was a. Uh, it was for dogs deserve better. Oh, okay. um, that group um, it's called Scruffles Palooza. So it's actually Ashley, the drummer. She she puts that together. It's, oh, it's okay. going to be an annual event. Um, she's huge into animal rescue, and actually both of us. Like she actually got me involved in animal rescue in New York. We used to okay. she used to work at an animal shelter in Brooklyn. I used to volunteer there, and that was a huge part of my life out there too. So we decided to carry that uh, oh. passion on here, and it, it she yeah she's kind of the forefront of it. And so it's a benefit concert. Yeah, Pussycat Doghouse played that day too. So the Ska Band oh, okay. played that. I didn't. I didn't stick I didn't, around for that. Oh, okay. Yeah. So know. yeah, we closed the show. Oh, but, okay. Uh, okay. But yeah, yeah. You saw my organ trio playing. That was actually the I first did. time we played in public. So that's Val on guitar and a uh, good friend now Daniel Cox on drums. And okay. uh, and Daniel was kind of just a, a fill-in drummer. I couldn't find a drummer. <laughs> and I saw him at the Blues Jam. Right. And I was like, hey, uh, do you want to play this organ trio gig? Um, you know, it's a, I was like, it's a charity thing. I just kind of need something. And he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm, he was just itching to play. Mm-hmm. So we're like, all right. Um, like Val didn't know who he was. You know, and like, yeah, you know, I I'd played with him a little bit at, at several like kind of jazz functions. But, um, right. And I've seen him play a little bit. So we decided to get together at his house to rehearse. And so we go to Daniel's house. I didn't want him to, you know, bring a drum set over somewhere else. So it's yeah. usually, I think, kind of a good practice. Like if you have a drummer in your band, just go to their house. You know, <laughs> yeah, you don't want them to carry a drum set somewhere else. So. Yeah. And um, I'm used yeah. to kind of hauling my organ rig everywhere anyway. So. Right. Right. But um, so we get together at his house. We start playing, and it was just magic right from the from the start. We just all look at each other like this is this is what we're we're doing. Like. So um, I do, I'm the bass player on the organ with my left hand. Yeah. So I, I do bass lines with my left hand and solo and play chords with my right hand. Yes. Uh, Val fills in the middle with the guitar and um, yeah, Daniel's our drummer kind of fills in the sound. So. Yes. And um, we've really learned to kind of play with each other and, you know, really kind of sound like a full band that way, which is really a lot of fun. That's a lineup that I think a lot of Hammond organists, you know, eventually choose to, to, to explore. Exactly, yeah. Um, 
What are you, what are some of the ch- like? I know for me, you know, some of the challenges would be that left hand bass. Yeah. Because you, and especially if you're playing it while you're taking a solo. Yeah. What yeah. do you do to work on that? So I mean, I had it was definitely a learning curve. Um, so. I used to think, like before I actually played Oregon, you know, watching Oregon players, it's like, oh, it's like, it's like part of your brain is thinking one thing and the other part is thinking something else. And when I was playing it, that's not really, the, that's not how I approach it. For me, it's more like I have to hear everything that's going on at the same time and train my hands to just do that. It's like, okay, this is what I'm hearing. All right, hands, now it's your turn kind of deal. So I, I focus more on the baseline because that's the kind of the, that's the glue that keeps everything together. And I kind of use like almost like my right hand is the accompaniment for the baseline. You okay. know, so it's a lot of interplay, a lot of counterpoint. Yeah. And like a lot of I mean studying that Bach counterpoint in college and you know yeah. and keyboard music. Yeah. So it all goes back to cycles back to all those fundamentals. Like um, it's basically those those basics that you're just kind of applying on a different level. So just kind of hearing everything at the same time. So um, ear first. Ear first. Body second. Yes. And then visual third, I guess. Maybe. I guess, yeah. Do you, do you um, feel your way around the keys? I can yeah. now, yeah. Um, I mean, sometimes I, I look at it, too. Just Like, sure. if I'm playing specific melodies, I kind of want to make sure. If I'm improvising, I kind of look away and kind of, you know, figure. Isn't that funny, too? Yeah. Me, me, too. Yeah. Improvising, it's more about... Um, I don't know what that is. Yeah. What is that? I, 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 don't, I, I don't know. <laughs> You're kind of like going off into another reality. Like uh, you can, I don't know. It's. I wish I could explain it. I, I, I wish too. Yeah, I'm better than that. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, looking away somewhat helps. Yeah. Sometimes. Yeah, and then um, yeah, just kind of using your ear, knowing where you want your hands to go, and, and a huge challenge was yeah that left hand bass because you know a lot of ba- like you. Know, like I was listening to a lot of bass players, you know, and like how they would, you know, okay. play, you know, because that that's what you're emulating. That's right. what people need to feel like there's an actual bass player there. They don't. I don't want them to know that it's a keyboard on the bass kind of. Right. Deal. Don't even so, think about it. Exactly. So, but then like you know, the bass as an instrument is tuned in fourths. My left hand's not tuned in fourths. You know, so I have to change positions a lot. You know, and like on a yeah. on, on any string instrument, like guitar or bass, you just move your hands up the frets. You're in different keys. Yeah, that's not really the case when I'm playing left hand bass lines. I have to really know my scales now and like how to get right. you know up and down and like where to go. And you know, some songs are easier to play than others because just like a half step away. You know, so. Right. I had to really get my hands acclimated to every angle possible Got on it. the keyboard. So, so there's a um, right there, students. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's just said, learn your learn your scales. Absolutely, yeah, learn in the a scales. Kind of way. Yeah, I mean, there's <laughs> they a, are helpful. Exactly. <clears throat> and well, I I always like to go back to this quote. This is one of my favorite quotes. I'm gonna paraphrase it a little bit, but um, a reporter asked, you know, Charlie Parker, you know, the great jazz saxophonist, probably the godfather of modern improvisation. Like, how do you become a great jazz musician? So he said there are three rules. Okay, master your instrument. Then he said master the music. And number three was forget all that and just play. <laughs> like, and I, I love that. Yeah, yeah, I think that really kind of captures mm-hmm. what it means to be just pretty much any musician. Because if you're thinking about, you know, those little meticulous details, then how can you put yourself in there too much? Like, I don't, I don't yeah. like to think as, you know, that much, like on that level, like in detail. Gotcha. I want to be free enough that I can react to the musicians around me because yes, that's where yes, the magic yes, yes. is. Yes, you know? yes, yes. How do you pick your repertoire? 
Oh boy. Um, Who do you like to listen to as organ see. trios? Uh, I mean, organ tri- oh man, there's so many. Out that's two there. different questions. I'm aware. It is. Yeah. Maybe, maybe they're kind of intertwined. Yeah, I, don't know. I mean, um, a lot of it, um, especially with the organ trio stuff, it's a lot of original music. It's mostly my music. Okay. Um, so, I, like, I actually, me, Daniel, and Val, uh, about a month or so ago, we went into a studio and we recorded um, what's going to be my first album. Uh, we did seven okay. songs um, of my songs. Oh, this is yeah. great. Yeah. So it gives you an opportunity to write your own stuff. Yeah, and, you know, and these guys, I mean, Daniel and Val, I mean, great. I mean, they kicked me into a new gear, you know, so they really light a flame under me. So I really have to make sure that I'm on my A game. They challenge me a lot. That's great. And on one of the songs I brought, a friend of mine, um, her name is uh, Lauren Hedrick. So she's going to be singing on one song. She's got a killer voice. So, and I wrote the lyrics for that song, too. So kind of tapping back into the musical theater um, okay. you know, background a little bit. But um, yeah. as far as listening to organ trios, I mean... Um, Jimmy Smith, the classic, yeah, I mean, he pretty much set the standard for everybody after him. And there's yeah. Jimmy McGriff, Jack McDuff, um, there's uh, Tony Monaco, there's Joey DeFrancesco. Um, actually, uh, I recently met an organ player, his name is Pat Bianchi, who's uh, Pat Martino's um, organ player. He came to Nashville and actually played a show at Rudy's. Okay, I'm yeah. familiar with him. Yeah. Because I think he's actually following the podcast really? on... Uh, on Instagram. Oh, nice. I believe nice. that he did start yeah. doing that. I mean, he's, so. and he is brilliant. Okay. Uh, yeah, he, I mean, he was doing the, like, bass lines with his feet and, you mm-hmm. know, things like that. You know, and just, right. like, yeah, really just kind of dialed into the instrument. Um, especially in town here, um, there's a great organ trio that plays um, pretty consistently. It's Jack Pearson on guitar, his band. I mean, it's, yeah, Charles Treadway on organ. He's become yeah. a, good, a good friend and very supportive. Yeah. And, I mean, I just go in and I'm getting lessons, you know, like pretty much just watching him play and listening to, to him. And you're and, catching them at Rudy's? Um, I um, they used to play at um, the Station Inn, but now they're playing at 3rd and Lindsley, I think, once a month okay. out there. And that, if okay. yeah, if you get a chance to see, that's one of the best shows I think you can see in town. Uh, Josh Hunt on drums. Um and, uh, and Charles and like yeah so it's really a killer band and and speaking of like the organ too um, as opposed to piano those are completely different instruments mm-hmm. you know my approach to both of them are completely different so yeah. piano I treat it more as a percussion instrument it kind of hits you back a little bit when you play right mm-hmm. and you know when you play a chord it still kind of resonates a little bit too that is not the case yeah. with the organ yeah you know you push a key down you lift your hand up that sound is done yeah you know so I actually kind of treat the organ more like a horn like I almost emulate like what I my ears actually work in the same way as I play trumpet because mm-hmm. you know when I'm blowing my ear through the trumpet you know it's making the sound when I stop the air the sound stops that makes total sense yeah so um so that, that was a huge um kind of uh, adjustment that I needed to make with organ because like when I was going from chord to chord I had to be much smoother on how my hands were working mm-hmm. you know I couldn't put a break in there or else there's a break in the sound and that's very noticeable if you're if you don't do it the right way you know so yeah so yeah, yeah so that that definitely had a it had an effect on it as well so you know the pipe organ has a trumpet drawbar exactly yeah, yeah. Um, and it is a wind instrument yeah so yeah. yeah, that makes total sense to me. So yeah, and I love how you say piano resonates. You can feel it sh- shaking your body. Exactly. Um, yeah, it's really a very astute observation. I think that you know the way that you're comparing the two is really good. Yeah, and I, yeah, I'm just you know <laughs> lucky enough to study with musicians who actually understood both because mm-hmm. um, yeah, it is it is not the same thing. 
It really isn't. Some some people think, oh, you play piano, you can sit down on an organ and play. It's like, no, not really. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like this instrument, like the organ, works completely differently with the draw bars. And yeah, if you're not familiar with the organ, like there is a set of nine draw bars per manual. And um, if as you pull out more and more draw bars, it opens up more of the harmonics. So you actually have more control over the sound. And um, that's why the role of the organ. Like, I mean, I've been really trying to explore that in a lot of the different bands that I play in. Because I play in rock bands. I have my own jazz group. I play in a lot of blues bands. I'm in a ska band. And, <laughs> like, and like, in the ska thing, I'm kind of, like, trying to create my own parts. Like, you know, I've been listening to ska music. Not all of them have keyboard parts. It's not really an essential part. There's, like, an essential guitar part. There's a way the bass works and the way the drums work. The keys are kind of a free-for-all. So I'm kind of trying to create my own sounds with that. So, um... The thing about the organ that I've really noticed, that's how you control the energy of the band. So, and different draw bar settings. So, mm -hmm. so you can make it sound a little hollower when things are a little bit mellow. And if you pull out all the stops, all the draw bars, I get this really intense sound that could really cut through. So yes. I've really figured out a way to how to, okay, so everything's pretty mellow. Let me push in these draw bars and really kind of keep it mellow. Mm -hmm. I was starting to build a little bit. I'll pull a little bit of these draw bars out so you can kind of get these harmonics in there. You really kind of develop your sound around that. So that yes. was definitely a learning curve. But I had to kind of do that live. You know, it's like, oh, okay, I could do that. Oh, let me yeah. push this in. Like now I kind of know my way around it a little bit better. Right. But it is definitely about controlling the energy. And that, that kind of brought me, you know, talking about Jack Pearson's band and Charles Treadway. Charles is one of the best at controlling the energy of that band. I mean, he really knows when, when to kick it up a gear, and, mm -hmm. and, and and you'll get it from the crowd reaction, too, you know, so you mm -hmm. definitely know how, how all that works, so. Yes. But, um, so yeah, definitely, yeah, those instruments provide very different roles for different bands. Like, you can't really yes. do that on the piano, yes. the way you do it on the organ. Right. Yeah, so. Well, you have to play octaves and really go fast. And go fast and <laughs> really kind of drill it. Yeah. 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 And um, it's much more exhausting doing <laughs> that. So. It, I feel the same way. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm energized by the, the hand organ. Yeah. It, yeah. It, it, um, yeah. I'm glad. I'm, you know, I know it. I, I know it energizes other people, but mm. it really energizes me too. Sure. So I get sure. a lot from playing it. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of great players out there and, you know, kind of continuing that tradition, which is really cool. Um, so yeah. you recently, I noticed um, that you recently toured. Yeah, yeah, we did a small road tour. Yeah, I played a band uh, with this, a blues singer-songwriter, uh, Meg Williams. And um, she actually recently got signed to NOLA Blue Records and just came out with her first album about a week ago now, a little bit like a week and a half or so ago. So we did kind of a little run um, for that album. We did an album release show in kind of her home area of Rochester, New York. So, but we just kind of loaded a van here in Nashville and just played. I think we did um, <coughs> six shows in ten days. So, and okay. um, and, and I'm I'm kind of glad you brought that up because that was a very unique performing situation for me, especially um, because we ran as a four piece band. It was me on organ. Um, we had a drummer, um, a slide guitar player, and Meg was playing guitar and singing. So I was essentially the bass player in the band with my left hand for, okay. for five of the shows. She got a bass player for her last show, so I didn't have I didn't have that responsibility for that one. But um, so wow. I really had to know these songs. Yeah, like I couldn't fake it. <laughs> yeah, you know, so I really had to really like you know focus on these bass lines, and I had to make it sound like you know we were we've been doing this for years. You know, so I think right. that was. Um, I mean, it was a challenge, but then, you know, getting, like, as we kind of went along, the show just got tighter and tighter, you know, we just got better, we just got 
we played better as a unit as we were going along, mm-hmm. and um, and it just kind of made it easier that way. And uh, but yeah, just making sure those bass lines are there and just kind of filling everything in. Sometimes I had to solo while keeping the bass lines going too. Okay. And so walking bass lines? Not really walking. It's more like it was more like funkier stuff. So okay. I could put some space in there. That's helpful. Um, yeah. So like more rock stuff. So a lot of you know, re- repetition on certain notes. And, okay. Um, I I would like kind of I'd venture off a little bit just to kind of raise the energy a little bit, but. Sure. Um, for some of that, I, especially when you have a singer and a guitar player, you don't want to take the attention away from them either. So I just try to keep it as simple as possible just to make sure that the job was provided. Because right. uh, it's very, that's another thing on Oregon, it's very easy to overdo it really quickly. You know, so um, to, to pace yourself is very important. And uh, it does take a little bit of practice because um, it's very enticing just to kind of slam all the drawbars down and just kind of wail as much as you want. But you are, right. but you are controlling the energy too. So if you get there too fast, that's not going to feel right. If you don't get there at all, that's not going to feel right either. So you really do have to kind of gauge how it works. And um, verses and choruses, exactly, very different exactly. settings. But yeah, you, you can you need to like have more high harmonics and choruses typically. It, that yeah, and even like I try to change like a little something between verses too. Like either if it's like maybe I just move it up just like like uh, an inversion the chords up an inversion just right. to kind of you know raise it up a little bit because yeah. I mean I'm not, I'm just against playing things the same way all the way through yeah like, I mean especially in a live setting like right. in a live setting like you really got like you have people that you're interacting with yes. like you got to give them a little something if you know if they go like kind of you know kind of deaf to what you're doing like then right. you're not you're not really doing your job you right know? so it's so subtle yeah but so i mean yeah i totally get what you're saying you go up another inversion yeah because it's the first you already said the first verse you mm-hmm. already said that first course you don't you don't want to pull it all the way back down yeah unless if the song really calls for it exactly and um and also like my attention span is pretty bad too so i need to make it interesting for myself too <laughs> you know so, sometimes if i'm doing the same thing over and over and over again right. it can get a little monotonous and you know, I, the last thing I want to do is zone out while I'm playing. Oh live, yeah. You know, so I try to make it interesting to keep myself engaged at the same time. Sure. So. And I think that happens to every musician at some point. Like yes. no matter what level of professionalism you are, it's easy to kind of just run through the motions. Mm-hmm. Like, I yeah. mean, and it doesn't really even matter what genre you play. I've seen like classical musicians do the same thing. You know, mm-hmm. I've seen rock musicians. You know, who've been on tour for years. You know, it's just like oh, they're just kind of going through the motions that they've been going through for right. the last so however long, you know, so. Yes, but, some um, of these bands have been playing these songs for 40, 50 years. Yeah, I don't know how they do it with it, you yeah. know, but um, I, th- I think it's everybody's job to make sure it's interesting to listen to, cause, mm-hmm. you know, because you know, in most cases, you know, people pay money to see you, you know, you gotta, you gotta give them something, you know. Did you enjoy touring? I did, would I you, did. Would you do it again? Absolutely, yeah, I would do it again. So, and, do you like playing live better than recording? Um, or, or can you say? It's very different. I do love live, um, playing live. Um, I love interacting with musicians live. Mm-hmm. I love the, you know, interacting with, uh, like feeling the, you know, energy from the audience too. Uh, recording, my recording experiences have been very different. Um, a lot of times I've, um, especially for keyboard work, it's not really essential to be there at the initial recording session. So I usually just kind of come in at the last minute and just lay tracks down and leave, you know. So I never really meet the musicians live, which is... Yeah, which is what it is, but um, right. um, I do enjoy you know being a part of projects like that. I can't spend too much time in a recording session though. You know, and then I just start getting in my head and I start thinking, oh, I could have done better. I could do better. And you know, and then like you know, twenty five, thirty takes later, you know, like maybe the first take was good enough. You know? <laughs> right. Yeah, you know, so I could definitely get in my head like that. Yeah. Um, 
That is a very big challenge of playing them. Yeah, when playing recording exactly. Sessions. And as long as you're in a good, uh, productive environment, yeah, you know, um, a lot of things. I, you know, I hear bands like, "Oh, we wrote this song in the studio." I was like, "You wrote that in the studio? <laughs> like, like you you paid money to write a song? Like, you know, that's I thought that's what you do in living rooms, you know, and like like hanging out with your friends, you know." So I I never really understood that either. But um, I do love recording. Um, I was able to. Um, I'm very fortunate to have been able to record several projects. Um, about a about a year or so ago, I recorded with um, a blues artist named Travis Bolin um, in Nashville, and his uh, his blues album uh, Secundus actually did very well on the blues uh, roots music uh, radio charts. It hit number one at one point, and um, we were able to you know kind of do some events off of that, which is really pretty cool. So, but uh, that was one of those things where he'd actually just send me rough tracks that that morning. I'd listen to it while I'm drinking coffee, and then <laughs> I'd show up in the studio, and and by two o'clock I was done. Yeah. You know, so. Wow. Yeah. So. It was, it wow. Was, yeah. Pretty cool to kind of do something like that. Music business is uh, different from the early '90s, like you were talking about. But yeah. It's, but it's it's kind of turned out to be great in some ways. Yeah. For us. Yeah. That that um. Being able to send a file to somebody across the country or yeah, things like that. Exactly, yeah, exactly, yeah. Um, <clears throat> well, and speaking of that, um, uh, when I was living in New York, um, this was after I graduated from grad school. I spent two years in New York just trying to trying to make it, you know, trying to see if I could get something going. And I was lucky enough, uh, my sister, who she works at... Um, she was working on films as like an assistant, and uh, um, she has a music background too. She worked at film festivals and things like that too. So, but she was she was working on this film, and she's like, "It's actually a really good film." And she sent me a copy of the script, and she was like, "You know, they're actually looking for a composer. I'm gonna throw your name in the mix." And I was like, "Yeah, okay." So she sends me the script, and it's brilliant. I read it in one sitting, you know, just top to bottom. Oh wow! And I really wanted this. I, I knew I wasn't gonna pay anything or anything, but I thought it would just be a great experience to have so I actually was able to I, I wrote music based on what I read in the script and I sent it over to them and they loved it and they were like okay you got the, the job um, it's a 99 minute film uh, you have two weeks to do it I was like oh Whoa. okay yeah so because that was the first deadline for one oh of the film gosh. festivals but that goes back to that grad school training yeah. I was like I was like alright it's going to be mostly piano music but um, I will get you a score in two weeks and um, so what they would do, the um, the team was from California. So they would we would text message, we'd video chat, email, phone call. They would Dropbox me the reels. I'd put the score, um, attach it to a Dropbox it back. Um, there was about like five reels to it, and I just kind of find these moments. Um, I had to chart out everything, so like where I found out, you know, felt that music was necessary. Uh, two weeks wasn't really too much, like. And another thing about if any of you work with filmmakers and they put a temp track against their film, a lot of them end up falling in love with the temp track and they don't have rights to those songs but, and they want something that sounds like the temp track. So you kind of have to create something that kind of sounds like it but it's original you know, kind of deal. Right, so that's right. another battle that a lot of film composers oh. face. So I was going through all that and I got, the, got it done in two weeks. Wow. And then uh, just for the first festival and then um, I redid the score and added some you know string sounds to it and really kind of filled it up and but yeah the first like um they couldn't pay me for it but their gift to me is they actually flew me to california to san francisco for the premiere at a film fest or at a media festival that's wonderful yeah which was really amazing and at that premiere that's when i met the team for the first time in person we okay. did this entire project and we had never met in person until right. the premiere Oh my goodness. So that's where technology has gone. You can do a yeah. complete project together with people from the other side of the country. Yes. And not, you, don't, you don't even ever have to meet. 
You know, so yeah. I re- recently recorded um, some piano work for an artist in New York. I've never met her or any of the musicians. I just know the producer was attached to it. And wow. uh, so hopefully we'll get to meet at some point and, you know, kind of work together some more. But um, yeah. yeah, just one song. They needed some electric piano and piano sounds on it. So I just laid it down for them. That's amazing. So, so yeah, you can do a lot of that kind of stuff now, which is uh, kind of crazy. Wow. So. I'm just struck. I just think you have so much to offer. Whatever you end up working on, um, you know, you're just you're so versatile and you have oh, experience you. in many different avenues and directions and yeah, and I mean, just like I mean, I've been very lucky and yeah, you know, I had a you know, there's a lot of setbacks that are involved with all this too. You know, <laughs> right. so there's a lot of ups and downs, but um, just to kind of have that realization that it, it's gonna get better. You know, like it's like yeah, I'm in a low point now, but. You could use this experience to kind of, you know, for the future as well. So it's just part of your story. You just kind of have to roll with it. I mean, I originally moved to Nashville to be more on the writing side of things. I actually kind of gave up. I don't know if I mentioned this before as, as we're going through it. I kind of gave up being a performer altogether. You know, I didn't think I had what it took, you know, being around such brilliant musicians in L.A. and in New York and, you know, sure. not getting a chance to play so much. You know, my playing did kind of falter a little bit and I wasn't really proud of what I was, you know, doing. So, you know, me and Ash were like, we could probably, you know, we could write songs real quick. Let's just be, you know, writers here. But then, you know, going to these blues jams, like I had to, you know, we had to meet people. We had to show what we can do. Mm-hmm. So people associated me as a keys player and I started getting hired out for that. So, and now I'm a performer. So sometimes you just have to <laughs> roll with, you know, the situation that you're in. Isn't that and, the truth? Yeah. Yes. So, I mean, I had no... Go really, with the flow. Exactly. I, I, I'd never touched a Hammond organ until I moved here three years ago. Right. You know, and now that's all, pretty much all I'm doing right now. <laughs> so you never, you never really know. Didn't expect that. Not, not at all. I mean, and especially even like the blues jams, like... Just to put it in some context, how crazy it could be sometimes. There was one of those Tuesday jams. I didn't really feel like going. Like, I had been going for several months. I got some pretty good gigs out of it, but I was just so exhausted. I was like, you know what? I'm just not going to go this week. But then I realized I didn't really have anything better to do. So I might as well just kind of have fun with my friends. You know, like, you know, just see people. Um, I go there, and I get signed up for a, for a set. Like, right when I walk in. I was like, okay, I guess I'm playing tonight. The set that I was on was just amazing. It was like great musicians. I knew them all. We just all connected. It was just a lot of fun. The whole crowd was into it. It was just like 15, 20 minutes of just magic. Right when I get off the stage, these two musicians approached me and said, hey, we actually just got booked to play a festival in Portugal. We want to take you with us. (laughs) Just like that. And I was like, okay. So we had coffee the next week. And then five months later, I was playing in Portugal in the Azores Islands in the Santa Maria Blues Festival with Marky Blue and Rick Latina. Right. And their project, yeah. So you never know. Like 15 minutes of my life got me a trip to Portugal, <laughs> you know, which is really nice. kind of crazy. And that's why, like, um, you told you know, me about that. I th- I think, yeah, I think I told you, yeah, that, yeah, at, yeah, at that how dam. freaky that is. It's, it's really that. crazy. So, like, I, I never, like, if I have any energy in my body to do anything, I'll go out and either support a friend, you know, play something. You never know what kind of opportunities came up. Uh, last night there was an event. Uh, it was a women in blues event that I went to. It was a charity event. I think for I think the uh, a cancer society here in, in Nashville or Tennessee. And a lot of my friends were playing, so I just decided to go and uh, you know just support. And I got a chance to play too. Um, Meg Williams was one of the artists, and we didn't know if there was a keyboard set up. She didn't, ask, so that's why she didn't really asked me to play but I was just kind of hanging out we saw a keyboard set up so I just got up and played anyway and after that you know I made connections with musicians like I had no intention of playing but then you know 
you, you meet people, they see what you can do. It's like, hey, you know, if I need something, you know, you have a card, you know, and you pass around cards a little bit, and, you know, you make friends that way, you know? Yes, yeah. So never turn down an opportunity. And, um, and another thing, like, th this was a kind of a big one, um, especially as far as blues jams go. Um, you're not there to show off, you know? So it's like... I mean, I, when I'm up there, I'm more like just trying to connect with the musicians that you got up there. Like, that's the most important. And those are some of the best, you know, moments from Blues Jams where people actually understand that. Because, yeah. I mean, all, the last thing you need is just somebody just kind of unloading, you know, like, <laughs> right. you know, for, um, you know, for however long. Just like riffs and lines. That, like, no, nobody really cares about that. Like, I mean, right. it's more important to create something beautiful as a unit than just to focus on your individual, yeah. you know. Yeah. Yeah. Your your individuality, or you know, yeah. your. your I mean, everybody's talented, you know. So we get that much. But how you react to other musicians—that's way more important than just showing off your skills. Yeah. So, so but um, yes. but yeah, there's a you know, a lot of cool things you can learn from that as well. Well, your background really helps you with that, I would think. You know. Yeah. Yeah. You, and then, you, I'm sure it wasn't by design. No. But the way that it's all kind of falling into place. Yeah. Yeah. So. If you get knocked down enough, you know how to be very careful on how you you, you proceed. <laughs> yeah. So. Well, not just that, but I was thinking of you know the improv group that oh, you yeah. were in, and you know the way that you're feeling music, you're be, getting to a point where you can channel it instead of you know. Sometimes when you're just reading notes, it's really hard to get to that place. Exactly. Um, I'm not saying it's not possible. No, but, no. But um, it sounds like the way that you learned music and the way that you, you know, absorbing it, becoming yeah. one with it. You know, and everybody has a different process, too, you know, and mine's very different from a lot of people. Like, I mean, yeah, I can read charts, you know, I can read music if I need to and, you know, really learn it, you know, listen to recordings, all that. But really... Um, what I focus on is how I interact with everybody else on stage. I'm not listening for my part necessarily. I'm listening for everybody else's part. Right. And now I could fill in these things. So one yeah. of my favorite albums, actually, is uh, Maceo Parker's album, Life on Planet Groove. Yeah, you know that? Oh, it's, funky. Yeah, it's so funky. And, and Larry Golding is the organ player on that. And um, I was listening to it, but like he doesn't really go crazy on the organ, though. But like, if you listen to his part, he plays the perfect amount of music. Just like he fills in these little holes where the guitar player isn't there and the drummer, and the, like they're just such a tight unit. There's enough space for the soloist to kind of work. And they back off, and they, and it's just it's brilliant. And it is like it doesn't get funkier than that. Yeah, it's like one of my favorite albums. Like yeah, just definitely. locked in. Yeah, just highly recommend to check that one out, especially you know talking about how to interact with other musicians. That's mm -hmm. uh, that's a master class right there. I keep listening to that album over and over again. So. Yeah, that's so great when you find those kinds of recordings yeah, that just yeah. really speak to you. And yeah, absolutely. What you believe in, what you're about. Yeah. Um, I, you know, it feels odd at this juncture, yeah. but I was going to just say, would you like to play something in closing? Uh, sure, um, yeah, I can play I, a little something. I mean, there's nobody here, you know, for you to play oh, with. Oh, it's okay. Um, <laughs> and we're going back to the solo world. But, that's um, that's alright. Um, I can move this microphone back. So. Okay. Um, you want me to play something on here? Or? It's totally up to you. Okay. Um, I'll play a little something on here. I, I think what I kind of do as a, as a warm-up, actually, I can't show. I, I usually just... You know, when, I, when I'm kind of warming up, I like to just play a blues. Like, just run a blues, because the last thing I want to do when I'm warming up is having to think a lot. So I try to kind of emulate that. Should I just use this? Yeah. Or, you know, so. 
Thinking's not that much fun. <laughs> so yeah, so the more you can kind of internalize it and you kind of, you know, make it a part of yourself, and mm-hmm. um, and it's, it's, it just goes back to that ear training. When you make that connection between your ear and your hands, and just kind of keep developing that over and over. And I still have a lot to learn, you know. And that's kind of, and you know, music's always changing. You know, like styles are always changing. So, yeah, that's what makes it exciting, though. And that's why I keep doing it. I mean, that is why we're an incredible profession because you, it yeah. never ever gets dull. No. Uh, there's always something else to do, and I mean that's what I love about exactly. it. Exactly, and, and that's been a worthwhile, you know, thing to do with my life. Yeah, um, yeah. Because it just never, 
It's you're never exhausted. No. And no. you guys, every interview I do, I always I'm thinking to myself, I want to learn a little bit more about that, or this thing really intrigues me, or you know. So I mean, we're just all just creating community here, and it's so helpful. Exactly. You know, and we all kind of influence each other, and mm-hmm. you know, so yeah, and. Well, I just want to thank you so much for coming today. Oh, thank you for having this me. This has no, been it's, great. It's, it's, a, it's an honor that you asked me. I'm, I'm very grateful that you I'm, asked me. So I could kind of, I mean, a lot of these things I haven't thought about for a long time, too. Right. You know, so, you know, right. talking about it, having a discussion like that kind of brings us out. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, and they'll probably influence my plan from here on out, too. You know? Yeah, so the, these watershed kind of, moments. Yeah. That, you know, we yeah. get to sort of put it together and, you know, and then it's, it redefines the path. The it, water runs off in another direction. Exactly. Or, yeah. or a new stream or something is created out of it. Yes. Which is wonderful. Yes. So. so, well, I will bring this to a close then. And, um, just want to say thanks again so much. Oh, and thank you. Uh, where will everybody be able to reach you if you know if they want to find you, your recordings and all this? Um, that you're up to? I'm I'm not very good at this right now. I'm I'm still in the process of developing like a website and all that. Uh, right okay. now, you know, I'm on social media, you know, like Instagram and you know Facebook and all that. And, okay. Uh, How do you spell your name? Uh, Kieran Gupta. K I R A N is my first name. G U P T A is my last name. Uh, my uh, Instagram handle is actually Mister Kieran.Gupta. Um, I Googled my name once and found a bunch of female doctors before, so I don't want anybody to get confused. So, <laughs> so I'm a male jazz performer instead. So, I gotcha. Uh, so, yeah, you go look me up there and then, you know, Facebook okay. and all that other stuff. All right, and I'll connected. include some links uh, to some of your bands and things that oh, you're doing. Oh, thank you. Yeah, so yeah, I do have some, yeah, some band links and all that so I can get to you for sure. All right. All right. Well, best of luck to you, Kieran. Thank you. Thank, thank you so you. much. Yeah, thank you for having me. Take care. Yeah.